Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper Podcast. Your host, Greg, will have smart discussions with friends, experts, and thought leaders on customer experience, transformation, and leadership. Please follow this podcast on your preferred platform. I am sure you will enjoy the next episode with the guest I selected for you. Ladies and gentlemen, today it's really a big, big pleasure because I have Michael Lurick together with me. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, how is everything going? I'm Very well. Fine. Thank you. <laughs> Very well. I'm super thrilled to have you on this podcast because uh, on the CX Coalkeeper po podcast is the first time that we are going to discuss about design thinking and you are one of the biggest gurus worldwide in this topic and then i'm super happy that you accepted my invitation you published already a lot of books the last one is out since a few months design thinking and innovation innovation matrix and for this series you already published four books exactly and thanks for having me and it's really a pleasure i'm talking today about my main topic innovation metrics and of course design thinking thank you very much as usual um The first thing that I'm doing is always presenting the top player of today on this field, on the CX goalkeeper. And therefore, my question to you, Michael, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, sure. Uh, my name is Michael Lurik. I'm, I'm living in Zurich, Switzerland. And um, I've been here now for 15 years. And before I was basically living in different locations around the world. So I lived for a while in Germany, I was living in the UK, I was living in South Africa, the US, and of course, Singapore. And um, then you come to the point in your life, you really like to settle down. And so I have chosen Switzerland as my, my home at the moment. And I'm, I'm really happy here um, being in Switzerland, um, writing my books, having a small consultancy boutique. We are just a small bunch of people doing international products and innovation um, projects and this is basically where we're operating thank you very much and from zurich to zurich it's it's great to have this discussion not always having people from the usa from asia or from africa but somebody from switzerland and um, the second question i always ask is which values drive you in life Well, my values are really centered around the design thinking mindset. This is something I'm, I'm doing not only in the professional field, but also for my personal planning and my daily habits. So, for example, I'm, I'm really good in reframing and looking into what is the positive aspects, what's come along. So, for example, with a big discussion at the moment around artificial intelligence, a lot of people have fears, but on the other hand, you have also the possibility to see this as an opportunity. So reframing and looking where's the opportunity, what's the challenge at the moment, is really something striving me. So this is one of the core values to put something, uh, any opportunity into a positive perspective and making something out of it. And that's a great, I would say, purpose, not only value. It's it's outstanding what you are saying, and it's what drives also us, customer experience professional, transformation professionals in our daily life to improve uh, people's life. And uh, now that we know a bit more about you, Michael, your top player from today, let's start the game speaking about design, about design thinking. Perhaps the first question, where does your passion for design thinking come from? Yeah, basically, um, I established my passion 20 years ago. So before I was 
focusing in more traditional ways of driving innovation because I did my PhD in the field of macroeconomics and innovation clusters. So I was looking into what is the behavior, what are the capabilities needed um, in different stages of maturity in, in driving innovation. So basically from a startup company into a more mature way of doing business. And then I had the great opportunity to meet um, experts out of the design thinking field and they um, inspired me to look into the innovation field from a different perspective. And so I started to learn about the design thinking mindset. I was applying them um, into my projects, into my corporations with different organizations. And I realized there's really strong, really strong tool set, process and mindset to drive something for the future and future business success. And this was my starting point, engaging with design thinking. And from this point onwards, I was really curious about learning and um, developing my own frameworks. So I not only started to applying it, but also started to go really deep into the tool set and how to develop the framework for future business success. And we are really thankful for that because you've wrote four outstanding books and uh, and these are not typical books that you read from the first line to the, to the end, but these are fu full of pictures, figures, and they are really colorful that helps and um, make people also willing to check this book. And this, these are books that you can take and use and reuse every day during our business life and perhaps also sometimes uh, during our private life. Where does the idea come from to, to write such books and such types of books? Mm. So the first book was a design thinking playbook and uh, it was also my first book. So I never did any kind of book project before. Of course, I was writing up a lot of journal articles, you know, and did all my um, dissertations. But at this point, we had really the challenge about creating something totally different. And um, we were basically meeting here in Switzerland with a diverse group of people on a quarterly basis discussing about design thinking tools and methodology. And all these companies were really in the starting point of the digital transformation, also creating a new mindset. So all the big companies you can imagine in Switzerland. And then we came to a point we thought, okay, what are we going to do with all the knowledge we're creating in this small community. And we did a brainstorming on what is the best way to broadcast out this knowledge. And we had ideas like writing a blog, coming up as a conference, um, doing kind of an open community um, online, expanding to other countries. And I had the idea of creating a book. And then people were saying, that's totally crazy because first of all, I'm totally underestimating the work involved in a book. And also then uh, finding a publisher and many other challenges you're facing as a first time author. And I was uh, thinking, okay, great. I love challenges. I like to reframe it. And I've seen it as a, a great opportunity. And at the same time, we, we received the, the feedback from the community saying, if you're writing a book, please apply design thinking principles. So the whole book was based on design thinking because we were looking into personas. We we're looking into like, what is the best customer, reader, user experience for the book. And we were basically using all these principles in creating the book. So this book, the first book was purely written on the desire of customers, feedback. And uh, that's probably the reason why we came out with a totally different layout, a totally different setting. And of course, if you like to build a community and you like to bring across your language, pictures and visualizations are really helpful to uh, make a good statement. And that's the reason why we use text 
and illustrations at the same time. Thank you very much. It's it's really great because if you open the book and go through, it's it's really based on the needs of the readers and and um, and that they can read that, understand that, and really apply that in their in their lives. And design thinking, it's a great. Tactic. I use tactic because I'm speaking in the soccer uh, world, football world, and uh, these tactics can be used and make um, soccer teams successful. But from your point of view, what's the best definition or what is your definition of design thinking for the audience that is not perhaps aware of? So first of all, we have to stay away now from the soccer into the American football because the first book was a playbook. And um, if you look into American football, the playbook is, is a great part of doing visualizations about techniques and also kind of ideas. What is the next way, how you like to play? And then basically you try it out. And if it's not working, you try something different, right? And this is really the idea also with the design thinking playbooks that you have a lot of inspiration. You're trying out things and then you go into the next path of, of creating something. And so we have to, today, basically for this um, kind of conversation, we have two mindsets, the soccer one and the American football one. <laughs> <laughs> you are right. Uh, but I want to be also, um, I was was playing uh, soccer and football, uh, soccer, the, the European football. And also when I was a child, we started really learning also tactics, how to go on the left, how to go on the right, how they are playing the, the, the competitors and therefore we should try this and that. And this is also like a playbook, not as uh, in the American football, but, but really similar. Be back to my question, what's your definition of design thinking? Yes, first of all, and I mentioned this already, design thinking is for me a mindset. So and this is sometimes um, a little bit confusing because a lot of articles out there and, and definitions, they talk about a design thinking um, more like a tool or methodology. And um, I totally disagree because, first of all, um, when you look into these frameworks and tools, some of them you can use for a certain time periods, they have hypes and they're over. And the design thinking mindset has proven to be successful for over 55 years now. And, and the reason for this is that we basically have principles, how we collaborate, how we think, how we approach the problem space. And this will be not only helpful now, but also for the future challenges. And that's the reason why I'm always enforcing people to really learn about the mindset. And if you have the mindset, you can basically solve all the problems Uh, we have currently in our environment. And that's the beauty about it, right? So the design thinking mindset as a kind of really good way of collaborating and uh, bring new ideas um, for the future. And at the same time, I have now the feeling that the design thinking mindset will be really important in the um, current situation of digital transformation. Because with artificial intelligence, you get a lot of tools for a specific tasks You can even use it um, as a supporting tool in UX and, and for design thinking projects. But if you're not understanding the problem space, you're not able to create the appropriate questions and you're not able to create a lot of WH questions, you will not successful. And that's the reason why we also see at the same time as I'm talking here, big hype again around the skill set and capabilities related to design thinking, because this will be the core of everything we see now in the digital transformation. 
I, I think that's that's we are all businesses are in 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 this digital transformation and digital transformation is not a new technology as you are saying, but it's a mindset, it's a culture of continue and continuous in innovation and 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 uh, design thinking. You said it's a mindset. I allow myself. It's it's a method, a tool that that we can we can use to make that understandable. Because the question that I have is, how can we exploit the power of design thinking? Mm -hmm. Well, so first of all, I think we have to um, live it up on a daily basis. So when I see kind of a lot of change projects in large organizations, uh, most of them are still top-down driven, and we try to um, come up with a new behavior dictated by PowerPoint. And this is basically not really effective in the end. So what we need, we need leaders, we need employees, like everyone working in the organization, related organization, living up this mindset on a daily basis. And then of course, change is happening because if you have a different meeting culture, a different way to, to collaborate with other people, a different way of running your workshops, a different way of iterating to come up with better solutions, then of course, everything is changing. And that's the reason why I'm always trying to find like, um, so appropriate people within the organizations, educating them, and then basically they spread the word about uh, what we can achieve with design thinking. Then basically, I think we get a lot of reinforcement and uh, this new habits will come kind of on a daily basis in, in every organization you can imagine. I think what you are saying is key, having the right ambassador to spread this mindset, this this word of mouth about uh, design thinking and ensuring uh, ensuring to to leverage that. Uh, in the second book, the design thinking toolbox that you wrote, the one with the black cover for for people uh, looking looking at, at them, uh, you are sharing a lot of different tools that you we can leverage, and perhaps a bit a different question, not asking which is the best one because you can, you have no answer, but which of these uh, tools are you using in your daily life? Well, basically, uh, what we did with the Design Thinking Toolbox was creating um, a set of the most powerful innovation tools and frameworks. So we are basically summarizing on 350 pages, 50 tools. And it's not 60, it's not 100, it's only 50 tools. And we were going um, into like a large process of selecting them. So we started before we were writing up the book, uh, international survey on tools and methodology. And we had like participants from almost all countries worldwide, from innovation experts, from practitioners, from like academic side, and all of them were coming up with like the powerful tools they're using and also telling us why they're using these tools. And this basically was um, then the groundwork we did for the first book about tools and methodology. At the same time, we realized from our um, users and readers, they have a strong demand about how to start using tools, kind of a how-to guide into the toolbox. And um, that's the reason why we really dedicated four pages um, for each tool. And it's a really precise description about where to start, how to use them, but also how to change them. Because it's not like a, a rigid kind of framework. It's more kind of a flexible way. You adapt it to the culture, to the situation. And that's the reason why we have also kind of expert tips, how you can change the tool within your environment. That's quite important. And at the same time, we did kind of a small metrics that you see 
at which stages in the design thinking process you can use each tool. And this is also quite important because some tools you can use really early in the design thinking process, some you can use um, a little bit later, or some of them you can use with every iteration. And that's also something if you're a beginner um, with a design thinking mindset and, and starting into your career with innovation or creating something, then of course you need some guidance. And that's the reason why most universities right now using the design thinking toolbox as a starting point for like um, people really getting acquainted first time with a design thinking mindset. I really enjoyed the flow of this discussion because you already answered my next question. <laughs> no, no, joke aside, I wanted really to ask because these are 50 tools and uh, companies need to uh, change them, apply them in a different way, depending from the industry and how mature they are. You said that you have a consulting company uh, helping other, other um, companies, other businesses with, with, uh, with uh, design thinking. W which tools do you use the most from, from this book? Yeah, basically, I'm using all of them. So these 50 tools, kind of the standard tools we are applying in our daily innovation work. And at the same time, um, if you run any design thinking trainings or running academies for, for companies, we're trying to educate people on these 50 tools. And then, of course, sometimes we need more specific tools for specific industries or specific innovation teams. Because if you are uh, more related to like um, something you like to build for the next 10 to 20 years, of course, you have to be more focused on future users and personas. And then, of course, if you have anything related to um, data and, and data collection, you might use also data-driven tools with coming along with the design thinking tools. So there are many things we'd be customizing this toolbox, but these 50 tools are really my standard tools. And one of my favorite tools is actually the critical items diagram. And the critical items diagram is very powerful because you use it in the early stage of um, defining the first functions and experiences of a potential solution in the end. So right in the beginning, before I did any kind of ideation, any kind of uh, first prototypes, you're trying to define what are the three most important functions, what are the three most important experiences right now for the solution. And then, of course, you look into the future. So what is the future relevance for a function and one experience? And this kind of set of nine function experiences is kind of um, a nice guideline, nice principles for anything you do later. Because if these function experiences are so important, they must be in the final prototype. And that's the reason why we do regular checks, check in with each iteration to see if you're still on track with these function experiences. Of course, they're changing as well as you're testing and getting more insights. But usually we get like 80% out of these initial set within the final prototype we're building in the end. Thank you. And you're speaking about the future. And in the next book that you share, Design Thinking for Business Growth, you introduced or you, you were discussing about uh, business ecosystem, creating business ecosystem. Could you please elaborate a bit on that? So this was basically also requested out of company projects. And um, we realized that um, we are in a time of exponential change and exponential technologies coming along. And uh, companies don't have the time and the resources to build up all capabilities to realize new value proposition. The idea behind the business ecosystem design is to create something totally new to the market 
and new to the customer by connecting different actors in the system and bringing a new value proposition to the market. So what we basically have seen over the last 20 years with the platform economy of creating network effects and having more kind of a central way of applying um, a business model, we're now trying to be more decentralized and coming up with ideas that have the potential for exponential growth. And um, we have like two major building blocks in business ecosystem design. First of all, is design thinking because it's really focused on the final customer user. At the same time, we're operating in complex systems. So we need system thinking. And the combination from design thinking and system thinking is a basic concept behind business ecosystem design. And the idea is really to come up with, as the title of the book says, design thinking for business growth, as uh, a realization of exponential growth for um, for any kind of business you can imagine. But most of the time, we're really talking about radical innovation, so something new to the market and to the customers. And at the same time, what we also experienced over the last years, that the same methodology is used to look into sustainability. So we can use business ecosystem design for creating the circular economy, to come up with like ideas for CO2 neutral in the future. So there are many things you know we can use now this framework also to um, come along with the challenge of the uh, climate crisis we see at the moment. Uh, perhaps, and if not possible, without naming customer names, do you have an example that you can share that uh, from a project that you implement in the last few few years or months related to this uh, to this topic? So usually the typical clients um, in Europe are banks, insurance companies, manufacturing companies, or even like uh, big companies in the B2B sector creating automation. So for all of them, they have like this big challenge, um, how we create something new to the market and not having all these capabilities in-house. Even if they are large organizations, they're usually missing Uh, data points, they're missing uh, technology capabilities, they're needing, they need like other services and products to combine. And then basically they, they realize, you know, this is a way into like a new growth strategy. So usually we have like really traditional companies creating something. At the same time, we have customers that are creating something uh, basically on, on a greenfield approach. And they starting as a, a startup company. And then of course, they're realizing, of course, maybe we have to partner up with different companies of creating like uh, new and holistic customer experiences. And um, this is basically the two uh, kind of customers I have in the moment. When I split it a little bit between like the US, Europe and Asia, we see most of the projects at the moment in, in Asia. And this has something to do with like a really pragmatic way of seeing the future and also of starting a project first and talking later about contracts, NDAs, and as uh, the legal framework. And this is basically the biggest problem with these companies in Europe. It's really hard to collaborate, start co-creation workshops with different um, companies in Europe because all of them first discussing for two years the legal contract and then basically starting to collaborate And still the mindset is really narrow about protecting your ideas, protecting your data. And it's not about combining the data to have more value in the end. And I think we have to do a lot of more groundwork at the universities and with our academies so that people understand the need of creating business ecosystems. And then basically, I hope we get in the next five years kind of a nice a starting point that all the European companies starting and, and creating business ecosystems. 
Uh, I hope that that you agree that I didn't sign the NDA that you shared with me. Therefore, but we are still record. We are already recording the the podcast. <laughs> joke joke aside, I, I think we need to stay on this positive side of uh, of doing business and trying to create value. And it's the the quickest, the be- the, the better. Not having always um, contractual framework, legal framework in there. And it's important also to measure innovation and change. And therefore, we we come to the last book that you published, Design Thinking and Innovation Metrics. And there, I think there are really a lot of nuggets. We are running out of time, but I still want to ask you some question on this uh, on this book. And. Um, you are sharing there how can comp- how companies this can design the innovation measurement system that are right for them and on a very individual basis. Could you please elaborate on that? Yes, basically the last book was a missing piece because we're talking about the design thinking playbook, design thinking toolbox, and the business ecosystem. And I had a lot of projects with large organizations that were asking me, so Michael, so how are we going to measure now success of what we are doing? So how are we going to measure cultural change? How we measure the product portfolio? How we measure kind of the evolution from the original problem statement, prototypes into anything we scale? And um, of course, I had measurement frameworks, but most of them were related to old kind of thinking about how we measured innovation in the past. And the reason was really to um, do a reset about how to measure and using all the new terms and um, models of creating something with iterations into the measurement system. And basically what we did, we did kind of a nice distinction between explore and exploit. So this was the first part we did. And then of course we were creating like um, on the horizontal side, like two major blocks. One is really focusing on culture and organization, and the other one is uh, really focusing on the portfolio, product portfolio, and of course on the project, the project you're doing for creating something. And kind of these four quadrants together creates entire framework we put like 400 pages on, and it's quite nice because it starts simple, saying, look, these are the quadrants you have to focusing on, and then it goes really deep into all the steps from the design thinking process over lean startup, business ecosystem design until scale, and it shows how we can de-risk over time and use like the appropriate metrics to make it happen. And um, the books give, again, all the templates to do the metrics. It looks into different kind of frameworks. It really has also kind of a critical discussions about the past and how we measure today. And I think the best benefit of the book is that it's tapping into the world of artificial intelligence and design thinking. It's tapping into neuroscience and design thinking. And of course, a topic I do already now for 10 years is big data analytics and design thinking. So we were also combining all these kind of new data streams, the new evidence we have around product and and service development, and we're feeding in all these things into the innovation measurement system. And um, I was quite happy about this kind of hype now for artificial intelligence, because this helps also for better understanding through all the tools and methods I'm presenting in the book. And so hopefully um, this will be also helpful for all the innovation projects out there to have a different perspective about measuring, but also to creating more evidence over the entire design cycle. I think evidence base is extremely important. But if you're speaking about uh, uh, artificial intelligence, not everybody's understanding what is happening in the background. How is it possible to leverage AI to measure innovation? Well, two things at the moment. What, what do you see, um, what people are using? 
Um, that's a lot of lang language processing models. And this is basically a starting point of engaging artificial intelligence and helping to come up with um, different solutions, outcomes, even quotations, you know, to specific questions you have. When we look into the measurement system driven by artificial intelligence, we really have to go to the second or third level of artificial intelligence to make it happen. And uh, what we can do, we can, of course, use right now the methodology to start training the system, understanding what kind of data we have, understanding what is the cause and effect, doing something with the design teams, um, creating a new product, having kind of different influencing factors of um, have out having better outcomes in the end. And all these data sets and learnings can be the basis of a an advanced artificial intelligence system with KPIs and metrics, which are much more forward looking than looking into the past. So we're trying to find a way um, having this kind of learning algorithm of creating indicators that help us to predict the future. And I know that we are not there at the moment, but I think with the next level of artificial intelligence was coming along, it's possible. But at the same time, companies have to do their homework because if you don't have the right data sets ready and you don't know the data from your customer interactions, it's really hard to build a customized solution for your business. So I can really um, enforce and um, hope that everyone is now looking into the data sets they have and start working with them because you definitely need them for the future. Uh, you are speaking about the future and I'm now really keen to ask the next question because you spoke about business growth, you are speaking about artificial intelligence. And my question is, in 10 years from now, you are back on the CX Goalkeeper podcast and we are what we are discussing about. Well, that's a good question. 10 years, that's, that's a long time in um, a way how everything is now exponentially changing so um i best, basically i have, have no idea what we what we do in 10 years but probably we talk about new technologies we, we speak about uh, the next next wave of digital transformation because it's ongoing and um, i i think we still have the same mindset because uh, i'm totally convinced that the human capability of defining appropriate questions of understanding the problem will be key whatever we're going to design and we have in the future. So I probably have the same mindset and hopefully, hopefully you as well. And then we just tap into like the next level of technology. Very interesting and very much looking forward for this discussion. This discussion or this game is coming to an end, but in the extra time, I still have three questions for you. Short question with short answer. Um, um, is there a book that you would like to suggest to the audience that help you during your career or during your private life? So, so basically, I really have to, to say I'm not reading much books. I definitely, I'm not, not I look into books and I, I'm, I'm reading them, but usually always topics not related for what I'm doing. So I'm, I have not looked into any design thinking book. I have not looked any book around uh, business ecosystem design because there's one reason for these things. If you start reading about these things, you're taking this as a, as a given kind of way of doing these things and you're stopping to be curious and developing your own concepts. So that's the reason why I'm always start writing my books on my own reasoning and my own feedback from customers and my own experiments. And then basically put it out in the market and usually I'm reading afterwards about people who publish something similar. So I'm really basically not the best person to ask for book recommendations. 
<laughs> no problem, but we can recommend your four outstanding books uh, about design thinking. And I know that you wrote also additional books that we will share also in the show notes. What's the best way to contact you? Well, the best way is LinkedIn. So please reach out over LinkedIn. You can follow and then connect. And if you have any questions, write to me. I'm, I'm happy to, to respond within 24 hours. Oh, that's great. And thank you for this commitment to answering so quickly to this uh, to the request. Therefore, oh, dear audience, feel free to contact Michael. Uh, even if it's not 24 hours, it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, and the last question is Michael's golden nugget. It's something that we discussed or something new that you would leave to the audience. Well, I think the, the most important part nowadays is being curious about what's coming along, about the future, curiosity, is, is really the core, core element of our existing as human beings. So stay open, do your own experience, do your own experiments and learn. And if you stay with this mindset of, of learning, I think uh, nothing can happen to you because you're always up to speed what's coming along. And this is basically what I recommend to everyone and uh, much success in applying it. The only thing that I can say is, Michael, thank you very much for this outstanding game together. Please stay with me to the audience for today. It's everything. I hope that you enjoyed this discussion. Please post it post podcast, go to Amazon, buy Michael's book. It's worth it. I can confirm that you will find all the links in the show notes and feedback is a gift. Please provide us feedback. We love feedback. Share it with us. Thank you very much and bye-bye. Greg, thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth. Subscribe it, share it. Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business, we are in a human-to-human -human environment. Thank you!